You're selling a widget, you're selling a concept, or you're selling yourself every day, every minute, every second of your career, whatever career you choose, we are all in sales. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. I am very excited for today's interview. Being in uh, sales myself, I was, I was really nerding out on this episode because we have none other than Chip Helm, who is a number one best-selling author because he's written, he's written two sales books called Everyday Sales Wisdom for Your Life and Career and another book called Bigger Than Sales. He just released these two this past year. Um, and he's a sales professional that's been uh, at Cook Medical for over 30 years. So he uh, he was in dental school, kind of took a turn with his career, decided to get into medical device sales with Cook Medical, uh, really honed his skills as a salesperson through his time there. Um, he eventually became the national sales manager of Cook Medical, and he is now on the government side of, of Cook Medical is what he works. So we... Uh, he actually came in and spoke to my sales class at Butler. When I was a senior at Butler, uh, Doc McQuiston's sales class, he was a guest speaker. Um, he spoke there, and we've actually talked a little bit about him on the show before, just the, the things I learned from that. Um, and after he spoke to my class, I actually had a quick phone call interview with him that senior year. And then we, we I reached back out to him these past few weeks, and we actually got an interview. So. He, uh, in this interview, he talks about his transition uh, from dental school into medical device sales, um, the things he's learned through sales like relationship building, uh, following up, uh, building rapport. He gives a lot of tips on how to really build meaningful relationships with people, um, and you get that kind of advanced sales insight from someone who's been doing it for a while uh, and been doing it successfully. So he, he gives a lot of good uh, insights into that. And this is a good interview to listen to, not only if you're in sales, but for any type of career you're in. Because he talks about this in the episode, is no matter what career that you're in, you are in sales. Because you're always trying to persuade someone to some type of point of view. And he talks about what it means to do that and um, gain someone's trust. And a lot of good things that that were very insightful for me that I'm going to apply in my career. So Slager, what did you think of yeah, the interview? That, uh, going off that, that was one of my favorite things he said, is no matter what your career is, you're always selling. Mm-hmm. And because we've talked about it plenty before, and I was in a class, he talked to my class as well when I was yeah. in school. And, and I remember specifically because uh, what stuck out in this interview as well that still clicked for me then was his reasoning why he left dental school mm-hmm. and his realization that uh, his skills were better somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he's just, he's a mastermind. Like, sitting talking to him, you can just tell it's a different type of, of conversation because it's that, it's not like a game, but that sales way of, of communicating and very effectively and efficiently and getting to the point and getting what we want out of out of the, the conversation as well. And, and it was such a sales salesman move when he was like, all right, what's the goal of, of the conversation here? So I know, and I said, man. <laughs> That's he's just yeah. Killer. That's a good question. And uh, yeah, he's I think he's just an all-out stud in the sales game, and uh, very very generous in, in offering advice and uh, as a person to reach out to if we ever need anything. 
and we're going to be following up with him uh, after the episode releases. Uh, he wanted us to let him know how it does. So uh, I just, I really enjoyed this conversation. He's just a, a cool, really good dude. Uh, he's got good outlooks on life, a uh, good family man. And yeah, I, I think this is just a, a very insightful, uh, wisdom-filled um, interview with someone who's been in sales and he talked about how he's had to adapt in in his industry as well over the last 30 years so that was really interesting to to learn about but yeah without further ado um he needs no further introduction um chip helm well first off thank you for for your time and i know we were figuring some things out beforehand um just, I'm kind of interested how you started. Uh, I saw that you you dropped out of dental school, uh, and then entered uh, the sales uh, industry. So I'm I'm interested what that looked like and your motivating factors behind all that. Well, first I got to correct you. Even though the book said it, and the publisher and the marketer behind my book, <laughs> I didn't actually drop out of dental school. Okay, okay. <laughs> that one clear. Okay, online grabber. Drop out of dental school, literally. Uh, what happened is I found out in my third year that I was having trouble by hand-eye coordination. Okay. So I don't have very good small motor skills. I played football, basketball, baseball growing up. I played football at the University briefly. So it wasn't that. So that's what I found out through my third year when I started doing clinicals. And uh, so then I was kind of, I guess you would say, I didn't think I was going to be a very good dentist at all because of that. So I made that decision. It was probably best for me not to return. Gotcha. Uh, and I got lucky. I got really lucky because I was riding a little 500 at that time. And um, it was a bike race in Bloomington, Indiana. So I rode three years uh, for a fraternity there. And I met, ran into a, uh, one of my mentors. You asked about mentoring in one of your questions. I ran into uh, someone I met. His name was Bill Armstrong. So the stadium is named after, uh, it's called the Armstrong Stadium. So mm. Bill helped me get into dental school, and he also helped me after I decided not to continue dental school, he helped me get into uh, my first and only opportunity and job I've ever had is with a medical company called Cook Medical. So that's kind of how I got started. Just a quick side note is people noticed that I had good communication skills. They noticed I connected with people and because i used to have uh you know in dental school you'd have these clinics and you'd have patients come to visit you but i'd have lines out the door around the corner waiting on me i'd have a uh, a dentist next to me so obviously i could screw it up <laughs> i wouldn't have a problem you know but the but the mothers and their children and wanted to come to my area where I was working because hopefully because of those connections in that way of networking and communication skills. So I was blessed because I had no idea what the hell sales meant. We don't have sales class. We didn't have sales classes like you guys do today. Yeah. Yeah. And that's initially where I kind of met you and, and learned about you is uh, Doc McQuiston's sales class. You came in and you talked to us. And I just remember how, how, how well spoken you were and how much I learned from that. And you and I, and I even reached out to you after the class. I was like, hey, do you just want to you want to have a phone call just you and I because I want to learn more from you. Um, and I, and I, always, I always remember you from that. And, and I'm glad we were able to kind of connect here. Um, and I guess what Cook Medical, it's a medical device company. Uh, what 
you want to kind of explain like what sales looks like in the medical device, medical device realm, uh, how you kind of progress through cook medical into the position that you have now. Well, I mean, sales is sales is sales. So I think it's all about people. So that's how you per, I mean, I mean, that's what that's all about regardless of what company you work for. So I don't think it matters if it's cook medical or whatever, uh, company you uh, go and work for. As what I've said in some of my uh, sharing, some of my books and things, it's really important to figure out what you want to do when you grow up. And it just happened that the medical side of the industry really intrigued me, really got me going, really got me up in the morning, really drove me, really just made me just want to get up and scream and just have enjoyment because you know, the most important thing to me was what I could do for people. What could I give back to the community? Could I do something that really impacted mankind? And so that's where the medical industry came into my heart because I was, we were saving patients lives. And so that's what that's all about. As far as the one, you got to learn which direction you want to go, what you want to do for a living, but you got to find something you fall in love with. So that's what I fell in love with. So the sales process, you know, how you end up in your career, that kind of falls into place if you love what you do. So mm-hmm. I'll start there and then you can on that. That's good. What, and what types of people were you approaching? Were you working with doctors for most of the time? Yeah, and that brings up another very good point. You gotta talk the talk and walk the walk. So make sure you know what you're saying and make sure uh, that you study and you, I have two things I believe in. It's all about preparation, preparation, preparation. And it's all about repetition, repetition, repetition. And no matter what you do in your life, you're in sales. So it doesn't matter what position, where you go in your life, but, but it's really important because when you're speaking to doctors, you got to talk the talk and walk the walk. And that's where you build the trust with them. So that was another factor. I always felt like, wow, I'm speaking to a physician, but what they do is this is important as what you do in life but yes i dealt with the end user of the medical devices and that was that were the physicians mm-hmm. and were you were you in the, the the room with them as they were operating like what did that look like like the, the sales presentation and- yeah well you know when i was younger and i was out in the field i was working with them and i was rolling up my sleeves i was right there but I was an educator, consultant, uh, someone who, hey, if you need something, uh, you have to be careful because they're operating and you know when to talk and when not to talk. But the bottom line is I built some of my best relationships sitting in the operating room with these physicians after hours during I talked hopefully to them because I wanted to make sure that they knew how to use our devices properly. So yes, to answer your question, I was right there in the heat of the moment, right next to them, uh, working with them to help save patients. Mm-hmm. Can you hear and, me? Okay. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And, and that kind of led into, because I was going to ask how that uh, style of communication changes when they're operating. And you're trying to educate and, and be that person as well. Uh, how did that, when you first started, uh, how was that learning curve? Was that something you picked up uh, quicker than not? Um, or how did that look with while they're trying to do their thing, you're also trying to do yours? 
Yeah, you have to begin to learn to read people, to watch, to observe. So I, I talk a lot about observe a lot, listen a lot, and speak less. So it's really important. If I had to do things all over again sometimes, I would do more listening, more observing, and probably less talking because all, all of us in sales or all of us in that kind of position, we always like to talk. Uh, but I think it's really important to watch them and watch their body language and watch how they react and just, you know, probably talk less in those environments. We call it the operating room is where they were doing operations. So we were there a lot. I think orthopedic uh, reps are in the operating room a lot too and other type of medical device reps. But I think it's more importantly in that room, uh, wait to speak sometimes, uh, catch your moments, as you build a relationship with them, obviously you'll understand when you can talk more and when you talk less. <clears throat> and you talk about body language. Is there any, anything specific you looked for when you were looking at people's body language? Anything that you picked up on that, that, that told you something? Well, let's look at two different ways. When I walked in someone's office, I always prepared myself. First of all, before they walked in, I always looked at their stuff up on the wall. Mm -hmm. Where they go to school? Uh, do they have a family? Do they like Chicago Cubs or St. Louis Cardinals? So I always started our conversation with something personal. <clears throat> when you sit down in the chair, you watch their body language. Are they sitting back? Are they sitting forward? Are they looking at their watch? What's their face as you begin to converse with them and have a conversation? Because always I say, have a conversation with someone, not a presentation. Mm -hmm. Talk to someone across from you like they are a good friend, like, like you two are just having a cup of coffee. That's how you got to treat these uh, situations and have the moderate expectations that you want to come in, have a couple things you want to talk about, and, and, and realize that you want to keep the door open for the next meeting. You always don't want to end it so you don't have a chance to come back. You want to set it up for the next time you meet. So, I mean, you always look around you, know your environment, know what, know your audience. I've learned that more in the last few years is um, train yourself, prepare yourself uh, to know your audience before you go into that room or into that environment or into that. I don't care where you are, go into a business meeting, to a national sales meeting, wherever you go, know your audience. And that way you'll have better self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And I feel like kill you. Yeah, and I feel like with just the internet today, there's just so much information about people and companies out there. It's a lot easier to prepare for stuff today just because of the, the accessibility of information that's actually out there about people, whether it's on like their LinkedIn or um, usually there's something out there about some, someone and, and yeah, that's, I found like developing rapport with people. People like to talk about like four things, like their family, uh, their job, like what they do, like what they're trying to achieve with it, uh, like the recreation aspect, like what they like to do outside of work, um, as well as just like what they're trying to achieve overall. Because I think if you ask about those four things and get them talking, I don't think you should ever go straight into business when you're going into a sales meeting. So, No, and I think the key is, is you'll always win when you get them to talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. You know you have succeeded when somebody wants to talk about it. When you get a customer, a friend, anyone – to start talking about themselves, you've got it. You've got it exactly where you are, right in your pocket. <laughs> you know, I, when I say in your pocket, if you remember when I, talk, when I spoke, 
that means they don't drop out of your pocket and you have the trust. You have the ability to, to build that relationship if they start talking about themselves. But be careful because there's a point where you got to continue to at least drive your business. So there's, you know, just make sure there's a good balance between personal connection and personal comments and why you're there. Mm -hmm. I, I like the talk about the pocket because I told my friend who I had the sales class with, I said, I'm bringing you on to my podcast. And he said that line. He's like, he's like, remember when you talked about having them in your pocket? So the fact that well, people remember what you said. Because that was one of my chipisms. My chipisms is if you ever get them in your pocket, you got them for life. Because, if, you know, unless you got, unless you're, you wear holy jeans or something like that, like some of the girls do today. And I tell my daughter that they cost more than the regular jeans. I guess they do. But the point <laughs> of it is, is if you build that kind of trust, that relationship, you will get them in your pocket. And that's the key. It's the key to everything. It doesn't matter if it was 30 years ago today or 30 years from, tonight, uh, from today. That's, that's funny you say it because I used to do uh, sales with Apex Energy Solutions. I do window replacement and we would go up to the door. And yeah. our, our thing was, if they invite you inside, you set the appointment. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If they invite you inside after you just popping up on their front doorstep, you better get it. So that's I never left. I never left an appointment or a meeting without scheduling the next meeting. Okay, so I never left a meeting without scheduling, and I never left a meeting at least my comfort zone with people. I always felt when I met you. Even if it was for a few seconds, a few minutes, I felt like I connected in that short period of time that I could get back in to see you. And that was pretty good 99% of the time. I had that ability. I had that knack. I had a God-given ability. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and, and you just alluded to a couple of them, but were there other things that, you know, through your, your reps of just doing it, you make your, your quote unquote pitch kind of your own conversation. Were there things that you thought you did or said or the way you said or did things within that, that conversation that really set you apart that, hey, I'm doing this. I don't think anyone else really is, whether it was before, during, or after. I know you talk about preparation um, and, and having it be more conversational. Were there any other key components that you added along the way, like no one else is doing this? And this is helping me win. Uh, no one else puts their hands out. There's not, uh, no one knows how to network out there very well. Mm -hmm. Everyone's, you got to get out of your comfort zone. Put your hand out. Always shake someone's hand. Uh, put your hand out and introduce yourself. Network every day of your life. I don't think a lot of people do that. So I set myself apart from most of the industry, most of my colleagues, by my techniques and my way and my desire to go out and network, no matter what meeting I went to, where I went, I prepared enough to know who I wanted to go after. And I went up to people, strangers, and within minutes I would have a conversation or I'd have a business card or I'd have a way. So that was one thing that a lot of people don't do even today. The other thing is I think separating myself, I was always what's called Johnny on the spot. Uh, do what you say you're going to do and do it when you say you're going to do it. A lot of people don't do that. Following up plus following through does equal success. If you do those kind of things, you know, and I'm saying to be on time is to be early. If you show up for a 9 o'clock meeting at 830, you're going to win. 
if you're always do what you say you're going to do and, and take care of people and get back to people, uh, people are poor. The, the statistics say today that most of the industry do not follow up. 25% of all um, people in any career follow up with people. And it just, it drives me nuts to this day. If you really want something bad enough, you're going to get back to people. I don't care if it's by email. I don't care if it's by text. I don't care if it's by phone. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a behavior. There's lots of things that I were, were, were doing that were behaviors that were part of who I was, part of my DNA. Uh, and you just don't um, turn, the, turn the lights where it's on and off. Got it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think we, we talk a lot about networking with people and that's one constant that we get with, you know, higher level business people is you need to talk to people. They're like, that's how you win is good relationships with people. So it's, it's fun to see how consistent that is. Who yeah. you know today. It is who you know. Can you get the crack in the door open? Once the crack is open, it's up to you. But it's who you know. Can you get someone to help you? Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's awesome. And, yeah, we talked to – we brought other people on the podcast as well, and we talked about just helping networking. And sometimes networking really isn't a matter of – you just going and, and telling someone how your services can help them, but rather connecting them with someone else that can give them business too and having like a servant's mentality when helping them out at the same time. Are, are there any like, when you talk about networking, what did you have any specific networking practices did you go to, that you did? Like are there events that you went to? Like how did you kind of develop your skill of networking over time? Okay. Bottom line is, is first of all, I, number one, I prepared. So if I knew where I was going, I don't care if it was a medical event, I don't care if it was a business, whatever, wherever the decision was made, I was going to go and be there. I prepared. Give you an example. I would know who the audience is before I went. I would know about them. I would look, let's say I'm going to a meeting. I'm learning and I would listen to the people who got up there and spoke, you know, who were on the podium. I would look at the agenda on the meetings to say what kind of talks are going on. So, because we go to medical meetings, you know, to learn, to uh, visit with physicians and stuff like that. So I would do all of that preparation. So that, first of all, is hard to do. And then the second thing is, is I was very comfortable at wine receptions, at uh, before the, the meeting receptions. I would go to every reception, and, but I would know who I'd want to target in that reception. And I'd make a point to go around and meet every single person. It wasn't about whether or not I had something to sell. It wasn't about it. It was about selling myself and, and getting to know the person so that at some point, if I ever had something to sell or something to say or something they needed or to solve their problem, then I had access to them because it's all about people. So I built up my stable from one to two to five. I mean, I used to have the state of Florida as a salesperson, the state of Florida. And I knew more people around the country than, than they probably did in their own territories because, because I would go around and meet people. And so I met people to the point where we may be 12 months before I see that person again, but it was like, like we were right back up on the saddle again, like we were friends again. So my relationships I developed were the type that I didn't have to see them all the time. So it was more about that connection. You also said another thing interesting. I'm a genuine person and you can't teach that. I'm a very sincere person. I'm an open, honest person. I, uh, I speak with my heart and stuff. Well, people can sense that. They know that. They know genuine person versus 
people that aren't. And the other thing is a huge thing that separated me from a lot of people is my humbleness and that humble quality, that humble card that is again very hard to teach and hard to, you know, to understand, but you've got to be a humble person and you've got to live your life and, and whatever you do in your career with humility. You've got to treat people like they want to be treated. You know, the golden rule says, be treated like I want to be treated. Well, Chip's rule is treat people like they want to be treated. And if you do that, you're right. When you said something about servicing, if you always put the other person first, the customer comes first. The customer is always right. If you live by that credence, even when, the, when you know the customer isn't right, it doesn't matter because the customer is always, always right. Remember, they don't have to figure you out. You have to figure them out. Mm. I like that. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. That I haven't like it's so simple, but I haven't heard of it's figuring them out what they what they need and want. Because a lot of times we'll start shooting. Hey, this is what I think you. So. No, it, it's really going back to figuring them out, and they don't have you. And this was a pet peeve of mine. You know, you don't have to be a friend. You don't have to like someone, but that doesn't matter. They're still a customer. I didn't like when I saw colleagues and people out in the industry say, well, I don't like them. I don't get along with them. We have a personality conflict. I could give a fat rat's ass about that and don't edit that out. I give a fat <laughs> rat's ass about that because it doesn't matter if they are your friends or if you have a personality conflict. They are a customer and they are just as important as any other customer. Yeah, that's and uh, anything goes on on our show, so you can say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, but no, that's that's a great way of looking at it, and and obviously from your success, you found what works for you. Uh, I am curious, how have you had to adapt in sales over time? I'm sure there you've seen quite a few changes uh, with, within uh, that industry. So how have you adapted, kind of your game, and maybe how you you teach others as well uh, with what you do. That's a great question. I have not been asked that very often, so I commend you on that. Because in life, in any career, and you, uh, using examples of an athlete, as an athlete gets older, and uh, maybe they're wiser, and they use their strengths, their experience, you know, and their wiseness and stuff to uh, continue in the game they play, let's say. Well, it's the same way that I've got to do. I've got to use my wiseness and my experience, but you still have to adapt. It's kind of like the coaches of old, you know, can't stay in the game today because they haven't adapted. So I think you make you ask a very, very good question. Probably the biggest thing I've seen and the uh, the biggest way I have to adapt, I've had to adapt over the last 15 or 20 years is probably the uh, compliance out there, the uh, how things are looked at. Um, it's amazing 15, 20 years ago, you could say anything you wanted to say and get probably get away with it. Uh, there's probably things you could have done in the work field force, and I've done it and have plenty of stories that you probably couldn't do today. Um, it doesn't say it doesn't bother me because I believe that, um, you know, you've got to be careful what you say today. You got to be because you've seen the news and how things happen. Well, what happens again? 
Um, so that's why I've had to adapt and, and look at things differently because um, the way the world is right now uh, doesn't mean I'm happy about it. I think that people should be able to, um, you know, 99% uh, of the people in the world are good today and 1% maybe have problems. So, you know, if I had said something to you that offended you that you didn't like, or uh, if you heard something I said or, or whatever, and you took it out of context, I wish, I wish to I mean, everywhere I speak, because I, um, I just didn't like the thing you said the other day. Um, and 99% of the time, uh, the chips of the world would have responded and said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that hurt your feelings. The problem we have in the world today, everyone is going down to HR, to human resources. Uh, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. And, and, I, and you're, you're hurting a lot of people. If I can change you two uh, on this and say, you know, if you have a problem with somebody or something happened, go talk to them directly. They would appreciate that. Don't ruin someone's life. Uh, now, if they're a repeat offense or gets up, that's different. But most people didn't mean to do what they did or said or assume they said because I believe perception is reality. It doesn't matter if I did or didn't do it. If you thought I did it and you're my boss, I did it. So those are the kind of things I've had to adapt to uh, on the self-awareness. So I teach a lot about self-awareness and that kind of stuff. But I think that's the biggest change I've seen. It's not the sales process. Sales process was the same in 1960 as it is in 1990s, the same in 2019. It's how you treat people. It's building relationships. It's networking. It's uh, being prepared. It's doing the little things correctly. So there's, there's nothing revolutionary today that, uh, you know, John Maxwell and all these other folks and who wrote some of these books in the past have said. They were just smarter uh, earlier. And it doesn't mean that people agreed with them or did what they said. So it's not that. It's just, you know, I'm a real keep it simple, stupid person. Or keep it, I'll give you a new term I just learned recently. Keep it simple and sweet. Ooh, so okay. keep it simple and sweet. But no, the adaptability is what's going on with, a, you know, uh, what's going on today uh, more than anything where you have to change as you get older and, you know, and understand that, that things are, are different than they were. 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Hope Not that running for sense. office, are you? Because we need more of that attitude in the world. <laughs> What's that? Uh, just people probably don't mean half of what you think, the evil things they say. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing about it, but the people are hurting people. And the problem is, is it's the generations after, you know, your generation, generation before you, generation maybe, you know, that are just sensitive to everything. And, and doesn't have enough tail, in my opinion, to just go and open up the door and tell someone, hey, you hurt my feelings, or gosh, you did something. And most of the time, they had no idea. Because yeah. I've been there, down there, taking the test. So I can tell you that most people didn't realize it, and they, and they would have just been better served to say, hey, and you shake hands, and I'm really sorry, and you move on, and probably, probably that person wouldn't do it again. Right. Mm -hmm. And it'd be simple, taken care of, and you treated someone with respect and just gave them respect to say, hey, I'm not sure what they said or meant, but let's talk about it first before I just all of a sudden think that they've done something wrong and take them or go down to 
uh, human resource. Yeah. yeah. I think people, people skip the direct conversation a lot. Uh, a lot. I don't even think they understand. Uh, they, they, and then, and then you can't even go talk to them after the fact to apologize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely a shame. Yeah. And kind of take. You guys can change it because you're part of the generation. You're part of the up and coming. You can make a difference. You can look at your colleague or your friend and go, "Why are you going to do that? That's how do you know that?" But whatever it was, it wasn't that bad. Or did you? Are you so? I mean, you know, to me, I've never gone down that to human resource in my 34 years, and I never would go uh, uh, unless someone did something in a fraudulent way. Yeah. yeah. Just like any issue, you got to handle it head on and, and talk with the person because that's that's where the communication of information is going to be most honest. And actually, you you saying that kind of reminds me taking it in a different direction with customer service because I, I talked with a customer today and a lot of times when people have issues with a product or a service, the person will be like, oh, I'll just pass this along to this person to handle it. And then this person will pass along for this person to handle it. I feel like it takes a good salesperson. I think it takes a good person to be like, hey, I'm going to handle this directly with you. I'm not going to pass it off to someone else because that's how information gets lost in the process. And I feel like people just need to have that direct conversation. So take care of the customer, have, whether, whoever it is, have a conversation with somebody, be open, be honest, uh, you know, be fair, and do, do the right thing. Do the right because you have to go to bed every night. You need to put your head on the pillow. I used to say two things every night, and I still do. Did I not screw anyone over today? And did I do everything I Yeah. From day to day. Did I do the best I can at whatever I'm doing? And did I not, you know, screw anyone over today? Yeah. Two good questions. I like those. Because I have three children. I have three children and I couldn't look them in the face if I knew if they knew that I had tried to screw someone or get around someone or throw, I, I use this expression. I do not believe in people throwing people under the bus. But let me tell you, my friends, it happens in the real world. You need to know what happens. It's going to happen. It's going to happen to you. It's how you react to it, how you get up off the ground. What do you do once it happens to you? Because it happens to all of us at some point in our career. Mm -hmm. yeah. And no matter which company you're at, it's, it's it everywhere. It doesn't matter even about a company. It could, be, yeah. it could be people you're dealing with on outside of work. People will, somebody or something will throw you under the bus. Yep. And there's no worse a feeling. And you end up knowing who your friends are and people are. And, and uh, you know who you can trust and who you cannot trust. Right. Mm -hmm. But it happens. I'm going to tell you, I was naive. I, I was probably too nice and too kind and none of these things. And that's what, how, what I wrote some of the things I shared in my books. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you what, what motivated you to write your books? Any, any specific instances? How did that process look like for you? There's no question what happened. My children and my stupidity. Uh, about 10 years ago, we sat around the Christmas tree and I, blurted out, hey, I think I can write a book. <laughs> Perfect. Children. Uh, and one's in medical school now, one's in vet school, one wants to go to dental school. 
and one's playing, uh, still playing football at Ball State. And for every year thereafter, where's your book? Where's your book? Where's your book? I got so freaking tired of hearing it. <laughs> and it just was, and you know, I didn't realize that I didn't realize the statistics that most people don't finish what they say about a book. I didn't realize that only 1% of people in the country are published authors. And now I just became a bestseller on one of my books. I didn't realize that most people don't write more than one book. And I wrote two. Um, I didn't realize a lot of things until, uh, but you know, now I have a different skill. I have a skill that I can teach a class. I could teach people how to write a book from the start to the finish uh, because it was scary, but now I know what to do and how to do it. So it's a great skill to have. Uh, I'm not a writer. I recorded most of it. Uh, and then I went back with my team uh, and had it edited and that kind of stuff like that. But it was my, it was really driven by my kids. And then someday I woke up and just said, it's about time. And there was another friend of mine that says, I know how to get you started. And then, the, and I started in July of 2018 and released both books and in the end of June, July of uh, this past, uh, no, 17th, uh, and, and, and did it and uh, released it in uh, July of, uh, of 2018. It's been almost probably a year, yeah, since the books actually came out, or August or something like that. So, nice. so it took me about uh, 12 months. Okay. okay. Well, at least you got a family of accountability going on. So. <laughs> I'm telling you one thing, it, uh, that, they drove me to finally it said, I got to do this because then they'll never let me go. <laughs> and I'd be looked at as a loser in my family, especially when I tell you who's in medical school, dental school, vet school. Right. I don't think they'll ever write books. So I have that one on top of them. There you go. <laughs> and you got two of them. Um, yeah. And the only reason I got two of them, I think you, you mentioned that in something else that you wanted to know is because there was so much content that they felt they could split the books up and bring out two one time. And then I wanted to be called, I wanted them to be what I call airplane reads. I mm. wanted to be short, sweet, and simple that you could read it by the time you travel from the East Coast to the West Coast on an airplane, one of them. And I was hoping there's things to do in the, in the books. And I was hoping that uh, it wouldn't be uh, up on your shelf as a dust bottle, but, but you refer to it when you need it because there's everything in there from interviewing skills to phone skills to relationship, how to do it, to how to build your networks, how to go through step-by-step -step networking and different techniques and things like that. So, mm -hmm. so I hope it's something that people would refer to, not just read it once and, and put it away. Like, you know, so that was my goal. My goal, last goal was, the whole purpose of these books was whatever career you uh, go, you're in sales. And that's yeah. a myth out there. People think that um, they're not in sales if they are in HIT or HR. That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You're always persuading someone of an idea in some way, whether it's convincing your, your girlfriend to go out to dinner somewhere or convincing someone of an idea at work. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> you're selling a widget, you're selling a concept, or you're selling yourself every day every minute, every second of your career, whatever career you choose, we are all in sales until people believe that, until it becomes a, not a myth, a real standard of, of our career, how then you won't be very good at networking, relationship building, uh, communicating will increase, 
uh, because you don't think you need those other skill sets, some of those skill sets in other uh, jobs or careers you're in. That is completely uh, unequivocally false. And, but, but most people do not believe that everybody in every career connects to sales. Man. When did you realize that concept? Is there, was there a specific oh. time in life where you realized that or is that kind of something you learned over your career? It just came intuitive to me and I just learned over my career that mm -hmm. because I learned that you want to get something accomplished, you want to finish something, you want to go after a goal, you want to um, become a CEO of a company, you want to become an entrepreneur, you want to become the best in marketing, you need those skills. You need communication skills. You need to know how to build relationships. You need to network and component. You need how to write better. You need how to have grammar skills write. You need to uh, go through processes of interviewing, which are all wrapped up in the same skills I just described. Um, you know how you just need to know how to uh, build up any people, and that's all part of any. So I think it was just um, was part of who I am because everything I wrote in the books, I've been there, done there, and taken the test. So it was all my own experiences, or I brought in other people's, you know, experiences into the book, uh, into the books. And uh, but uh, yeah, bottom line is, is I wouldn't get up and tell you. I would say it right now on this podcast and tell you something if I haven't gone through it, mm -hmm. or if I didn't believe it, or if I didn't work with it. Or if I didn't fall, or if I didn't succeed because of it, or fail because of it too. See, I think it's not just what's good; it's what have you done? What how? What have you done so wrong? Or lots of things you've done wrong to help you become successful. I really believe you need to fail to get better, and I just you know I really I really believe that. If you don't, uh, but if you love something so much, and you fall in love with something so much, and you've got it in your heart of all hearts. You won't end up letting yourself fail because because it'll drive you, drive you, drive you, drive you. Get through some of your little hiccups of whatever non-successes, but you'll eventually succeed because you love it so much. I believe in that wholeheartedly. If you don't love what you do, uh, you will struggle throughout your career. If you're so fortunate to find something you love, you will make more money. You know, you can shake a stick at it. You're more successful, and you uh, you know just because you love it so much. I've never had a job in my life in my 34 years. That's awesome to hear. Like when I find myself whenever I talk to someone and they tell me what they do for work, my follow up. Is, I don't work. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I ask them, do you, do you enjoy it? And more times than not, it's, well, you know, I've done it for this long. It's like, well, you didn't answer the question. Um, so, so it's refreshing to hear that you haven't worked in the last 34 years. Uh, I am curious, and you don't have to get into as much or as little detail as you want. Do you have one of those uh, lessons learned the hard way throughout your sales career that really jump out to you that's like, man, that made me do X, Y, Z a very different way, but I had to learn that the hard way to, to get there. Well, the problem is I still haven't learned. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't learned it, and I still make those mistakes because of my honesty and my personality of, uh, of outgoingness and you know I've never met a stranger my mother never met a stranger I never met a stranger but I continually it's a process over your career I don't think it's something that happened but it's 
it all goes back to uh, self-awareness. What happens to people is that you always have to know your audience and who's around you. Great examples. If you go into sales meetings at your company, you know, now I promote, you know, don't bring alcohol into those settings. Uh, because when you start drinking, people think that what you say, you know, and also they watch how many drinks you had. Um, I think when you go into a business setting, especially uh, you're around your colleagues, watch what you say, probably uh, listen more, observe more, talk less, uh, and you'll probably win the wars and win the battles, and you'll probably be promoted more often. You'll probably go up the pay scale. You'd just be amazed how many people get in trouble over the years because uh, it only takes one. See, I have what's called the, uh, the pie theory. Uh, actually, I was just asked to do a TED, not asked, I was, I'm being considered uh, to do a TED talk in Bloomington, Indiana. Don't know if I'll get it. Won't know if I've convinced the, you know, that my ideas are novel, you know, enough, but I, uh, I was called and we've gone through a couple of conversations, but it brought up the, about talking about my pie theory. And my pie theory is the fun. You have this nice cherry pie, this chocolate pie, and, and it's 100% good, you know, that no one's cut into it yet, right? There's no pieces being cut. Well, my pie theory is 95-5. And what I mean is, is 95% of employees or people are good people. They come to work. They do things right. They're hard workers. They, you know, they get their goals accomplished. And then, but 5% of them, you know, 5% of, the, of that pie of that person, well, they've made some mistakes. They failed in something. Maybe they did something wrong. Maybe they, you know, had a couple beers instead of a couple of whatever it is and there what happens is, is the way the world works is most companies judge that person the persons on the five percent not judge the person on the 95 percent of all the good they do so that person's judged on the five percent so they don't get a pay raise maybe they get degraded maybe they go pay down maybe they don't get promoted uh and it's a, it's a shame this, and what's happening so i'm trying to i'm trying to move that curve and move that pie so that People understand and I believe that we got to worry about their strengths and make those strengths better. Understand what they did. It's okay. People make mistakes, but people should not be flawed in life and not be judged just because they make you know, a few mistakes. 5% of themselves they still have a, a hell of a good part of themselves that could be very, very successful. So I looked at it as far. So yeah, I've been involved in my situation over the years where I've heard this. Uh, so I teach that in your environment. Who's who's sitting down on the bar stool, two stools down from you? Who's at the same table as you are? So I guess my point would be is is, is to learn, continually try to learn how to, to observe more, listen more, and probably speak less in those kind of environments. That's where people get in trouble and get knocked off ladders and hit the ground and have to, as I call it, I teach personal branding. Personal branding, what's the definition of personal branding? It is what other people think of you, especially it's what your boss or someone who can control your paycheck, your promotion, where you go in life. That's who, if that person controls you, that's what personal branding is, is what other people think of you. Mm-hmm. And I would say the best thing to do is go back, get done tonight when you're finished this, go tomorrow, go home to your parents, go home to your best friend, go out to lunch with someone you think you know really well and ask them what they, th- and write down five things about yourself on a piece of paper, close it up, 
have it have it have it down. Just five things you think about yourself. Like I'm I'm a I'm an optimistic guy. Or I don't care what you say about yourself. Put five things on there, and you ask a really good person. You think they know you that well? What they think? And write five things down. And you'll be amazed what they found. When the papers were turned over and they looked at both sides, they weren't very similar. Mm. Or, or if anything, that person knew you better than you think you know. We all love each other, love ourselves. Okay, we love ourselves. Yeah. But you don't realize that that other person may see things that you don't realize or that you don't want to realize or you don't want to admit. So you ought to try this. I mean, go ask somebody else what they think about. Okay. You'd be amazed the uh, what you may find out, but you've got to develop. I never developed my brand or started to worry about my brand until I fell off that ladder and I hit the ground and said, "Oh wow, I didn't realize it matters what John says over there, but it does. It's kind of like this: perception is reality. If your boss thinks you did it, you did it. Doesn't mean you did it, but you did it. Yeah. So what are you going to do about it? You're going to what I call I have this uh, this uh, uh, this breaking tool called ground rules, instead of this ground rule breaking uh, tool where you sit in front of your boss, your potential boss, and you go through how do you want to communicate, how do you want to access, you know, what do you expect? We go, I go through a whole list of, because I didn't do that stuff to build my brand. So that's why I tell people now, build it early and, uh, and do it now. Uh, don't wait like I waited till I fell. And I had to dust myself off and figure out how, because you can, you, you can spend years building your brand and you can lose it in a second. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, man, that's good. But yeah, it can happen just that fast. So uh, thank you for sharing that. And, I have, and I've gone here and down, <laughs> here and down, and here and down. But here's the things I'll leave with on that subject. If you do things with the right heart, and the right intent, you'll be okay. You may not get to where you want to go. You may not become the president of whatever, or the, the main person, whatever you want to do. God doesn't always doesn't always happen no matter how hard you work. You got to go for it, and you got to work hard, you know, whatever. But you know what? If you do things with the right heart and the right intent, it's going to be okay at the end of the day. You may not look that way for a while. You may get knocked down a lot. You may, you know, be frustrated a lot, but uh, if it, when it's all said and done, the dust clears, and you go up to the pearly gates, you're going to win because we do it with right heart and right intent. That's all you can do. Mm. That's all you can do. Treat people the right way. It's about how you make them feel. Treat people like they want to be treated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. My dad always said people will remember not how much money you make, but how you made them feel. My uh, my kids won't won't remember what company I worked for or worked whatever for or whatever, but um, but I guess the only thing they may remember now is my my uh, my freaking books probably because it's a legacy. <laughs> they can never, you know, it's like my MBA, it's like my college degree, it's like my MBA, it's like my books. Nobody, nobody can ever take those three things away from me. Yeah. Yep. You know, nobody can, they can take everything else they want. It doesn't really matter what I did for a living. Yeah. But do you remember that I treated you right? Did I, did I, was I a good uh, husband, a friend, a father, 
uh, you know, whatever it is that I, uh, that I look at things like that. that that's the most, that's what's also, that's the most important. And that's what I saw I've learned too, is work balance. I wrote a thing about work balance. I had terrible work balance when I was your age, but you go through stages of work balance. So you need to have that work at 150%. And then you'll have another stage of your life. Then you'll have another stage of your life, but work balance is really, really key. If I had to do it all over again, uh, maybe I'd change a little bit of my, how I looked at work balance early in my career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's probably a big part of you. You, you wanted to, you wanted to separate yourself through hard work. I'm sure that, that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a high end, high level, high end type A. And whenever I hear kids like you come out of school or young, young adults come out and tell me, well, you know, my day ends at five o'clock on Friday. I want to resume it back on Monday morning. You know, I want to make a lot of money, but I don't want to work long hours or hard. I guess I want to throw up because I don't think the hard work has changed. I don't think hard work has changed. I don't think you get anything out of something by doing something less. And I believe when someone says I'll work 50% of the time, and then you're not going to get anywhere. It's kind of like a marriage. You guys married yet? Nope. Mm-hmm. You guys married yet? No. no. Well, let's put this one. It's kind of like a marriage. You hear this. No, it's not about she giving 50% and I giving 50%. It's, it's, like, it's, it's this way. You both try to give 100, and if you get lucky, and you both get 50 out of the 100, then you're winning the winning also. But you don't go into a marriage giving 50% and adding the 100. You go into a marriage, you both want to give 100%, and you hope you get 50 out of it, yeah. you know, let's say, or whatever, 75%. It's the same way with work. You want to go and give 150%. I want to hear someone says, I'm going to give 150%. And you learn over time. And if you're really good, you learn how to balance, bring the, 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 the personal life balance into your work. But, but, but when you start a career and you're just getting going, you've got to give 150%. If you don't, you're not going to be successful. We're not, they're not, there are not that many Bill Gates out there or other people that just have an, an idea that just boom, and they become a millionaire overnight or whatever it is. Most people got to work pretty hard, uh, even today, yeah. to at least to get to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. that's good Tim you got anything else to say sir um, yeah we don't want to take too much of your time I, I, I don't think I have anything else to add Dude, at this point I could talk forever <laughs> as you can tell you can tell I get passionate so yeah, I, but, I wouldn't be on this podcast I wouldn't answer your questions if I didn't care mm-hmm. if I didn't have a, uh, a message if I didn't yeah, yeah. otherwise I, if it doesn't float my boat yeah, th- thank you for your time again, and, and thank you for the work on your end of making this actually happen. Sorry that we went from laptop, but th- <laughs> was this was this any less than being on laptop? I'm assuming it's no, the it, same, right, for you guys? Yeah, it yeah. worked out just the same. It, yep. was, it was awesome. I'm glad we were able to no, work it out. It was no different, for the most part, from using it on a laptop. Maybe yeah. it gave you another uh, idea that there are a lot of people who are on the run a lot, mm-hmm. and they always have their phone. And they just don't know how to turn it sideways. You have to have it sideways, mm, not okay. vertical. Okay. And have the microphone on. A lot of people do it very successfully uh, by their phone, and they don't have to sit down on a laptop. So always remember that too, or make that as an offer. Hey, we can do. You can do it off your, off your phone. That's and great. you guys can actually be somewhere, and do it off your phone too. Yeah. yeah. Great idea. On the go. Are you on laptops right now? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But you can do it off. You could do it off your phone too. Sure. It's good to know. Yeah. All right, right, my friend.
Chip, thank right. you so much again. Thanks, Chip. Have a good evening. All right, you, you too. Safe too. travels. Bye. Bye-bye.